this episode, Don talks about Valheim, Bruce talks about baseball card art, Eric talks about Resident Alien, and the three of us talk about Galaxy Quest and a potential sequel. Hey, do you know you can go over to podpledge.com and search for Inverse Genius and you'll see our Podpledge page. All that money goes to help support the ongoing podcasting costs, and we truly appreciate it. Thanks. Everybody, uh, welcome to Fortnightly here on Inverse Genius, the show where about every two weeks we talk about just whatever we want to because it's our show. Gosh, I'm Bruce. Joining me on the show, the original cast uh, brought together once again for you uh, to my left, one Mister, uh, one Mister, one Doctor Eric Dewey. That is me, Doctor Eric Dewey. And to Bruce's right on my screen, we have Walsfio himself, <laughs> Mister Donald Dennis. Hello, everybody. Another exciting day on the internet. Indeed, indeed. And so many weird things we found we want to share with you. So I know each of us have a different thing we want to talk about. Who wants to start this party off? Mm. Well, I've been obsessed with something. Do we want to start with that? Let's start with you. Let's start with your obsession. So I've been playing Valheim. And Valheim is a survival video game that doesn't do any of the wrong things that so many other survival video games do. Uh, but in this game, you are apparently some sort of Norse dude who's died and is in the afterlife. And uh, so when you die again in the afterlife, you get to come back to your spawn point. Uh, mostly it's Minecraft because you're doing a lot of mining and or crafting. Uh, okay. it, and the environments are sort of older school graphics, but it's all very beautiful, very serene. The soundscape is amazing. And you are sort of building up from, hey, wood age to stone age to bronze age and that's about as far as i've gotten you can play solo mode or you can either set up a server on your computer that folks can join you on or you can actually get a real paid server somewhere that's more or less always on so that you know you and up to 10 of your friends at a time can get together and try and fight trolls or goblins or i assume dragons at some point uh we recently encountered a sea serpent and that was that was too exciting so it is, it is a very serene and enjoyable experience punctuated by uh, moments of extreme panic and, and yeah, I love it. It's a lot of fun. Very so, cool. So I'm going to, I'm going to, okay. Go Bruce. Oh, I was going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I hope it's a similar question uh, because I haven't played any of these survival games. I remember watching a friend play, I think dark souls and it just looked miserable. Uh, so what is it that, that most of these games do wrong that this game does right? Because that was your intro was this ah. does this doesn't do the wrong stuff. Super excellent question. So in so many of the other games, you have to have like, oh, I've got to make sure I've got enough water. I've got enough food. I've got all of these things. Uh, with this in your game, you your character has a baseline. And then doing the scavenging for food gets you better, right? It's okay. not like I'm going to die or be completely useless without these things. Um and it's not a roguelike or rogue game where when you die, everything is done and you start over completely from scratch, which some survival games do. Yeah. Um, in this case, what you're doing is everything you do is to make your life better. And so you get that feeling of achievement. Uh, and a weird thing is, is that a lot of your items will decay over time, including buildings that you build. Or, or places that you craft and create. And so okay. we've created some docks that are pretty elaborate and, Oh, we didn't put a, you know, a ceiling or a roof over them. And so they decay a lot faster. We're like, well, I guess we have to fix that. Okay. And 
it's also neat because I've gotten to connect with one of my friends back in Oklahoma who is playing well, an obscene amount of this game as well. And so, yeah, that's, that's what they do is basically everything feels like it's progress towards something as opposed to uh, the super survival aspect of if I don't kill another crab and eat it, I'm going to die. That was everything I hated about Agricola, so I understand. Just not killing <laughs> enough crabs. I get it. Exactly. Um, so that's it. I mean, Valheim is a lot of fun. If you like the Viking mythology, there's a lot of that in there. And if you uh, are safe, if I disappear from time to time, it's because the cat is waving its tail over the picture. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I like it. Eric, you had a question or was that it? No, I did have a question. Have you heard of the game Seven Days to Die? I've heard of Seven Days to Die. I've heard it's pretty darn good. I've not played it. Yeah, it's mildly similar. It's not fantasy, but it's a post-apocalyptic or you know zombie post-zombie thing. And but it's also a lot in the survival crafting kind of world. Uh, you basically wake up naked on the street, and it's like in outside of a forest, a park, and it sort of steps you through. All right, first you need to make an axe, and then you need to make a club, and then you need to build a you know, building and make a bedroll and make some clothes and kind of go through all of that and, uh, try and survive. And, and, uh, I haven't made it very far. I got killed by a zombie. And then later on, there's like, Oh, is that a wolf? And I'm looking at it and I got killed by a wolf. (laughs) (laughs) I, I tell you one of the, the super things that I love about Valheim is the soundscape is pretty amazing. So, you know, they have a lot of cool weather effects. So it might be foggy or sunny or, you know, you might see something over there. You go, oh, oh, here comes hard weather. And then we're out in the ship going between the different islands and a storm blows up. It is it is kind of kind of scary. But but also if you're just when you just first start up and you're walking around and you hear this strange chuffing barking sound, you're like, oh, no, is that a pig that's going to come and murder me? Or is that a wolf? And like, no, it's the deer. The deer are, until you figure out what that sound is, it is the most mournful, terrifying sound. You're like, I am surrounded by monsters, but it's deer who are just as scared of you as you are of them, if not more so. Oh, very cool. But cool. It's a lot of fun. It's pretty immersive. I played a lot of it. If you want to join us, uh, head on over to the Inverse Genius uh, group on Facebook, and I will post a link there or actually I'll just post a thing about Valheim. And if you want in on our server, I'll shoot you the information. So hooray. Cool. Very cool. Next Eric. All right. So I've had a, a small obsession as of late. Um, so, you know, Friday nights were WandaVision nights for my family. Yep. We would mm-hmm. watch WandaVision, but we would also watch something we had recorded earlier. And that is resident alien. It's on sci-fi on Wednesday nights, and the, it's mm-hmm. based on a comic book, actually. But the premise is that this alien crashes in Colorado-ish, and he kills this doctor and takes his form. And it's this small Colorado town. He's trying to find his spaceship. But suddenly, the only doctor in town dies, and so the town comes to him to help you know, just be a doctor in the town temporarily. So now he's forced to interact with all these people and, and learn how to interact with people. And, and then of course, all kinds of crazy shenanigans go on. And, uh, the alien himself is played by Alan Tudyk and he just does the perfect job of, uh, just knowing, saying the right thing and acting completely weird while he's saying it. (laughs) Nice. Mm. I assume yeah, neither oh, of you have watched this yet. So I've seen I've the seen first the two previews. episodes. Okay, oh, okay. So then you're even better off than I am. I'll shut up. 
<laughs> no, don't, don't shut up, Bruce. You're more entertaining than I am. So what it looks to me like, having seen the previews, and I'm about to make just a real old person reference, so bear with me here, but it looks like Northern Exposure yes. meets a sci-fi show. Is that like, that is the vibe I got from it. Oh, absolutely. And it's okay. like Northern Exposure <laughs> meets Fargo Alien in there. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, throw okay. a little Fargo in there while you're at it. The only concern I've had is that there's a lot of story going on here. Uh, there's the, the the sort of the main plot of him trying to find his spaceship and finish his mission while not being found out. There's a subplot of uh, a murder in town. The doctor uh, is murdered, and that's revealed real quickly i'm not going to spoil anything else so then there ooh, okay. how is this murder going on um then there's like three or four other subplots like the main the main female character in here is a nurse in the doctor's office and so she's got you know some kind of issues going on in her life and the actual mm-hmm. doctor who alan tudyk has killed has some issues going on in his life so there's a lot of story that they keep kind of like for instance we're seven or eight episodes in and we're barely touched the murder itself uh, and so, but honestly, well, yeah, the, I'm just the murder feels up front. The murder feels like just an excuse to get him involved in the town. Mm-hmm. Though I expect in the long run, it'll have a little more depth to it. It does. I would assume as well. Uh, honestly, we're just waiting for Alan Tudyk to do what he does best. Right. And the other characters are interesting and as well. And so that makes things kind of fun, but you know, it's sort of like watching someone who has no concept of emotions or the impact of what they can say. And, you know, he'll just blurt out the <laughs> obvious things to him that, of course, are. Uh, but there's at least one great line in every episode. The one that well, there's two things that we've been talking about from recent episodes. One is <laughs> where he says, uh, you know, he's like a ninja and that you shouldn't ignore ninjas. <laughs> and then the other one. <laughs> The other one is there's the cop uh, in the in here, and apparently the cop in the show just hates the little pods, the little coffee pods things. He thinks they're the work of the devil. He's like, that's yep. just like bringing a Ouija board to a cemetery. <laughs> so <laughs> we just in our family are looking for opportunities to wedge those two phrases in. Uh, his first experience with alcohol, of course, is uh, delightful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, so anyway, I, I liked I, it as, as well. If I had a streaming sir, or if I had a a DVR, I probably uh, would be watching it. But I don't have time for real destination television that requires me to remember what the schedule is and be there at the exact moment it starts. And I'm not buying a DVR, so until it shows up on one of the streaming services I have, it's out of my range. It may well, be it available be on somewhere. I was going to say it may be available on SciFi.com. I know you can stream stuff. I don't know if you can stream the entire episodes, but yeah, uh, and it might be on Hulu something i don't have okay i can't remember like who has what anymore yeah who can yeah and it's getting worse. Job. <laughs> yeah it, now that uh now that cbs all access is paramount plus and the wwe network has moved to peacock uh, <laughs> it's just getting real weird around here well you know discovery's got their own streaming service that they're really plugging hard now too so i thought that was your- real ballsy HGTVs, all your DIYs, yep. your food networks, and then everything that's Discovery is all, you know, moving there as well. So, Aye. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we all knew this would happen one day. When we were uh, getting television cheap, there were some people saying, like, look, I know you, you dropped cable, 
they're going to figure out how to do this to you. Don't worry. One day they're going to break <laughs> everything up. Just enjoy right. it for the few years while they're figuring out how they're going to do it. But it is still cheaper than, than actual cable. Yes, and it allows you to pick and choose the things you want. But even if you get the three major ones, I think you're doing better than cable if you get... Absolutely. Uh, you know, like Disney Plus to give you your ABC, Peacock to give you your NBC, and uh, Paramount Plus to give you your CBS. You're covering most of the spectrum of like... Yeah, for maybe 30 bucks a month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. So anyway, I strongly encourage Resident Alien. I'm looking forward. I hope it... Uh, I hope it uh, carries on and is able to stick the landing. What I find pretty cool is that you've got that and then you have WandaVision and those were two of the characters or actors who were in Knight's Tale together uh, that all of a sudden both have big shows with their names on them. So, you know, WandaVision being Paul Bettany and Mm -hmm. Alan Tudyk, of course, from Resident Alien and both actors I like a lot. Very cool. cool. And WandaVision has sealed itself up. And that is ah. sure a thing. Oh, so am, do you think it has? Because next week is the making of, and I am I would be willing to bet. Uh, of course, that'll this will pass by the time this airs. But I I bet that it is an in character. It's it's in universe making of, and not a hey we're doing it all from the side because they've made all the various things as if it was like hey this is the season finale this is the don't touch that dial or whatever it is for the different yeah. episodes. I bet it's another full episode of WandaVision. I'm excited to see if you're right. It, and I feel like there's, there's no way to lose. Uh, if it is another episode, that's a brilliant idea and makes so much sense with everything they've done. And if it just shows us how they made the show, seeing what they've done with things like Dick Van Dyke and Bewitched, and I wouldn't mind seeing them put all that. So no matter how they do it, I love your idea, uh, but you're doing what we call in the wrestling world fantasy booking, yes. which <laughs> is you're writing the story as you think it should happen. And often... Uh, if you're a WWE fan, they disappoint you. So I fear <laughs> that you may have written it better than they did. But you know what? I'm willing to give them a chance. I hope you're right. My, my hope is, is that if it is just the making of that, they explain all the stuff that had to get cut or changed because of COVID. Maybe not necessarily without going into too much detail, yeah. but they front loaded so much stuff into WandaVision that ended up being just annoying red herrings when they didn't pay off, Yeah, uh, but were great speculation fodder for while the show was going. Mm-hmm. Um, in all, though, I'd stay. I, I still really liked WandaVision. I would give it a, you know, A minus, B plus, somewhere in the, hey, this is really good range. You should check it out. Agreed. So Agreed, agreed. Well, since we've been talking about obsessions. Yes. Uh, I'll just, I'll jump onto one of mine. Um, I'm going to warn you first. I have more knowledge on this subject than is really appropriate for this show, but I'll try to boil <laughs> it down as fast as possible. Um, over the lockdown, baseball cards got really hot. Um, to the point to where people are literally putting like those tracker tags on the cars of people that replenish the supply at Target and Walmart, and they're tracking their cars so they know when to buy the cards to resell them. Uh, it went bonkers. In the middle of all this, Tops did a thing called Tops Project 2020. And what this was was, was we're going to hire 20 artists to take 20 of the cards that we believe are the most important cards we've made as Topps baseball cards and let them kind of remix them and redesign them. So they did this project and it was every day two cards came out and you had one day to buy them. And if you bought them in that one day, they printed as many as sold. And then the next cards came out for the next day and it kept this continuing cycle of putting out a 400 card set. Uh, But essentially the thought was you would probably either collect a person you liked, like if you really liked Dwight Gooden, 
you'd get all the Doc Gooden cards. Or if you liked a particular artist, you'd buy all the cards of the artist. Or if you're like me, you bought like three cards you thought looked really, really cool. Uh, in all of this, all of a sudden, once again, because of the lockdown, some people get into collecting cards. Other people see this new art style and say, I think I could make my own. And out of that came dozens and dozens and dozens of artists that are buying like cheap baseball cards and cutting them up and remixing them into their own cards. And it's caused this giant thing now where there's an entire subgenre of people that that's all they do. Either they're graphic artists and they redesign kind of the borders of baseball cards, or they create these weird anachronistic cards. So they take a player out of the wrong time and put them into an unrelated kind of baseball card background. They change the visual language or I've got one where literally a guy buys cards, cuts them with an exacto knife and refits them and puts them in, in as like a mosaic or a collage uh, to create new cards. This wave has then caused tops to change what they're doing. And they're making a thing called Project 70, which is for their 70th anniversary, where they've just gotten random artists to do whatever they want. And now you are seeing something as rigid as baseball cards get changed 180 degrees by artists. Uh, there was literally a card the other day. Their system now is the card comes up. It's up for 70 hours and you can buy it. Uh, they put one the other day of Fernando Tatis where he literally looks like he was taken over by Venom. Like he has the giant extended jaw and the things like coming off his face, but he's also on an Atlanta Braves card in his outfit. Um, things are getting real weird and it is awesome. Uh, if you're out there, I bought a couple, uh, a lot of the card artists, not the ones that are working for tops, but a lot of just like people in their houses, uh, did a thing for Alzheimer's where they would make a card for you if you would give money to the Alzheimer's Foundation. So I bought one card where I made a graphic artist make me a card of Gritty, the uh, mascot for the for the um, flyers. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And I did another one where um, I said, hey, would anybody be willing to do the Mets home run apple? Uh, it's such a dumb card that nobody will ever make it. And one guy was like, I'm a huge Mets fan. If you'll give money to Alzheimer's, I'll make the card for you. So he made me a card of the Mets home run apple and Mr. Met that he literally bought old cards, cut them up into this design and uh, made it for me. I'll put it on camera so you all can see it. Maybe this is a picture I'll send you over. Um, but all of that, it's in a thick case. And he literally found cards. He took a 1986 Mets card, cut it for the border then found a 2020 Mr. Met opening day card, put him on there, found a card that I think Donruss did years ago of the home run Apple, cut that in there and then put a new border in the back of it. But all of that is hand cut work in there that I think is just neat that people are doing this. He even sent me a little story with it. Apparently he's a ninth grade social studies teacher and he does this stuff like just as his Zen state. He saw the 2020 and said, I, it seems like a neat idea to work in baseball cards. I think I'll do it just as a fun handicraft. And that's how a lot of people are getting into it. A lot of people are finding their artistic sides by doing this. And a lot of artists that have been doing sports art for years um, are now getting tops contracts to do <laughs> weird art cards. And some of them are brilliant. Some of them are like what they call kind of hip hop graffiti style artists. Mm -hmm. That are doing, you know, like real honest to goodness tops baseball cards in their graffiti style. That, uh, that, one, yes. I was going to say that all sounds super interesting and it feels almost like, uh, you know, Magic the Gathering might be feeding finally back into the baseball card things because for years, 
you know, for, for a decade or more, people have been like redrawing land cards or yep. taking multiple copies of cards and, and giving them a 3D effect by stacking parts on top of other parts yep. and that kind of stuff or repainting the background or painting out the frame entirely and making it just an art piece. Yep. And so it, it sort of feels like that, but, you know, on something that folks have taken a lot more seriously than, than fantasy cards. And that may be how Tops kind of first got to the idea is they saw what Magic was doing and they sort of stole that for that 2020 idea. Once they did it for 2020, like all of the all the weird ninth grade social studies teachers were like, oh, I liked baseball cards as a kid. And then there's a whole concept called junk wax cards, which is all the cards from when I grew up are valueless and they're valueless because everybody thought they were going to be how you paid for your house when you got older. So they printed billions of them. The Jose Canseco rookie, they think there's something like 10 million of them that were made, uh, but people held on to them. So now people are like, well, these cards aren't worth anything, but I have an emotional connection to the Jose Canseco rookie. How about I cut it apart and make it a cool piece of art? Um, but it's exactly what you're talking about. It's, you know, they have these thick cases and they're stacking cards on top of each other to change the backgrounds or putting the stats the wrong way. So it's somebody standing in front of their own stats. Uh, so it is a very serious hobby in that baseball people are just real serious, uh, seemingly for no good reason. Uh, <laughs> and now they're having some fun with it. They're taking these things, which, you know, a, a lot of times I don't want to say sacrosanct. That's a little much. But like baseball cards, they like they're always going to have this border and it's always going to be somebody in their outfit uh, ready to go. And they're usually going to be in a, either a shot with the bat over their shoulder or an action pose. And people are saying like, well, why? Why can't I draw them like Venom from Marvel? Uh, how about I do that? And we make it real. And the Atlanta Braves agree to it. Um, so it's just a really neat thing to see. If you're out there, go to tops.com and there's going to be something that says tops 70. That will give you a chance to see just the absolute newest stuff that is coming out for the next bunch of days. Uh, or just look up art card anywhere. We're going to have a picture of the one I was talking about with the home run apple. Uh, just some really neat stuff happening in that space, taking some kind of really rigid parameters and using it to make some really neat art. Nice. That yeah. That's really cool. I, I think baseball might be take itself so seriously because you've got to kind of be serious to care about baseball, right? Yep. You've got to be serious about baseball because it is not, you know, you're passing by the field and it is, well, it's kind of like Valheim, you know, lots of moments of serene sort yep. of, hey, things are happening or not happening with, you know, punctuated moments of excitement and that <laughs> that doesn't you know attract casual fans the way that uh you know the the diehard serious i'm taking all of this serious kind of person might get into the cards and the extra ephemera of the sport indeed and what i love is is you're seeing from some of the artists because you have some artists here so there is i didn't know about this till i started exploring this but way back in the day they had andy warhol remake a pete rose card and uh, they told Andy what they'd pay him. And he said, cool, I'll do it. Who's Pete Rose? And they explained it all to him. And he made it. And it's up in the Cincinnati Gallery of Art. Apparently, it's one they sell a lot of um, because it's the 86 card. But he made it in his Andy Warhol style. And a lot of these artists that are doing the tops thing are on social media saying, yeah, I don't really care much about baseball, but I'm here to wreck your baseball cards. I'm here to show you art is going to stomp on your baseball cards and show you how boring they've been all of these years. Uh, so it's kind of neat to see artists with like a little bit of a chip on their shoulder uh, looking to go after a visual medium that has been exactly like you're talking about. It's been so serious for so long. 
um, with few notable exceptions, and I'm not going to get into them, but there have been once or twice in baseball carddom where someone did something real avant-garde, and everyone talks about it. Like, the, in the world, you go, oh, do you remember this year? And they go, oh, yeah, that weird thing where they let artists do stuff. Um, so this is another case where they're letting artists do stuff, and artists are there specifically to do what you're saying, to rock the boundaries of how serious uh, baseball cards are. Well, and it strikes me as people, you know, not all people continue to be baseball fans, but if you were at one time, you're still going to have some sort of appreciation for those teams or those eras or those, you know, sportsmen, those players, I guess is what I meant to say, that you might get an art piece of those folks, whereas you may or may not care about today's teams. And so if they're mining the history of the sport, then it's a might be a way to draw people back into the game. And, and that's what they're hoping for. And uh, for a lot of folks, if you collect cards, the visual language of uh, baseball cards also has a place in, in kind of in your heart. Like for me, the first cards I collected were 1985 tops when I was like six years old. And that card just always gives me warm fuzzies, no matter who's on it, because I remember it. Um, for some people, there are certain looks and certain cards that evoke certain things, and they're playing with all of that, too. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a huge nostalgia play, uh, but it's fun to see like the mix of nostalgia and the seriousness of baseball cards and some really abstract art that they're using to, to exactly what you're talking about. Pull people back in and remind you they're here. Hmm. Well, that's that cool. really cool. I, I will not own one, but that's cool. <laughs> exactly. I don't expect I only own like three, so I don't blame anybody. Uh, but it's a worth checking out if you like art and you care even the most remote, like you've ever heard of sport. Uh, it's worth checking out because some of the art itself is compelling, even if you do not care about who the art is of. So we need one thing to tie this all together, uh, and we loosely very quickly found something. Uh, <laughs> so uh, apparently, and this is a, a quick one, this is exactly what the show's built for, is there are rumors once again coming out that Galaxy Quest may be looking at a sequel. Ooh. Um. There was supposed to be a sequel, apparently pretty shortly after the movie came out. You know, everybody didn't expect it to do well. It got cut into a movie for Christmas, so it wasn't really the movie they intended to make. Uh, You can tell there's one scene where you can see, like, words changed to make it get the PG-13. And then they were like, hey, uh, we're going to make it. It's going to be good. And Alan Rickman was like, I don't know. It looks like trash to me. And they got Rickman on, and they were ready to make it, and then Rickman passed away. And then everybody said, like, well, you know, if Alan Rickman's not here, I don't think we really want to do it. And now enough time has passed and a new script has come out. Uh, Sigourney Weaver has said on, uh, I forget what website, uh, that she thinks everyone is signed on. She thinks they have an idea they can do where they can honor Rickman without needing him to be there. Uh, So it looks like we might be on the way to seeing Galaxy Quest the next generation. Huh. Um. I mean, I really like the original one, and there's a great making of documentary, which mm-hmm. was pretty fabulous. Uh, so I'm all excited about that. Uh, but it, it's a great movie, and if they can pull off a sequel that's equal, I would be excited. Um, I have hesitations, but hey, you know what? I'll watch it, and if it's great, great. And if it's not, I still enjoy the first one. <laughs> Wait, how does this relate to the TV show? So, um, you're talking about the TV show that they're making within the movie, the galaxy quest TV show that was going to be, there was going to be a galaxy quest TV show at one point. Yes. That was one way in which this was going to find itself a sequel. 
Uh, there was talk about that. That didn't work because I think a lot of the stars involved, I don't think Tim Allen wanted to do it uh, because it was going to be all the time. I think Sigourney Weaver at that point still had enough career left that she was going to be doing movies and it kind of bounced around and nobody went for it. Um, there was then, like I said, I think there was a movie concept I want to say that everybody was signed on for and then Rickman passed away. And now the new concept they're saying is essentially going to be this, that it is Galaxy Quest, the next generation. So it's going to be a new set of stars that are the actual Galaxy Quest people. But for some reason, they need to talk to the people that did it before that actually went into space because something happens that once again makes this all real again. Uh, so it's essentially it's Tim Allen and Sigourney Weaver and everybody from that crew talking to the new crew who are essentially going to carry the movie. Mm. Um, I think that could work. It sounds to me like a legitimate enough idea. It, I guess it's essentially going to be there. What was it called? Generations where mm-hmm. you had Picard and Kirk in the same place. Yep. Yes. I think it's essentially going to be their generations. If what I read in the Sigourney Weaver uh, stuff is correct, which sounds to me like it's a way you could do it and you could still honor Rickman, but he wouldn't have to be there, but you could refer to the old stuff from the other movie. Like it feels like it could be done, but I'm not a screenwriter. I don't know, but I'm hopeful that we get a little bit more in that universe. Yeah, I think it'll be fun at the very least. It'll make me want to watch the original again. It's been a few years. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and they had a couple of the characters who were the young characters from the, from the previous movie that, that could be pulled up into it as well and be, you know, more of the center, uh, the center spots for, for the new movie, for the next generation. Uh, Indeed. Like Plus there's a lot of great young comedians out there that I think could do a good job with this. Uh, so, it's got enough years on it that it has its own nostalgia, even upon playing on the Star Trek nostalgia. So I, th- I think there's hope. My, my big hope for it is, you know, they can pretty much do whatever they want and I will give it a watch. You know, that's, that's pretty much foregone as, unless I get everybody saying, no, it's horrible ahead of time. And then I'll wait till it's uh, on a streaming service, but I want it to be less improv than say the Ghostbusters reboot was, which I thought, thought was the only, the only problem I had with the, with the. Uh, Ghostbusters reboot was that it felt like it was improv night where everybody was trying to, you know, grab main stage all the time. Unlike the original Ghostbusters where they put Bill Murray up front and all the other characters were, you know, had their cool thing that they did, you know, elsewise, but it wasn't about making sure everybody got their punches in. Yeah. And so I, I hope it isn't part of the new, Hey, everybody's doing improv all the time aesthetic. Uh, that a lot of the reboots apparently are doing. You know, speaking of Ghostbusters, I assume you guys saw the ad. I think I saw it on the uh, uh, during the Super Bowl. The ad for the new Ghostbusters movie that's a sequel to the original Ghostbusters. I've not seen it. If it's a new one, as opposed to the one that I saw way back when, I haven't seen a new new Ghostbusters ad. Yeah, I so, knew they were putting out a new Ghostbusters, but I haven't. I'm, all, I'm with Don. I haven't seen the ad. Well, it's, it's kind of interesting because like you, it starts in this barn and this tarp is over this vehicle and the wind kind of blows the tarp and you see it's Ecto-1. And okay. you, you basically find out that you're in this small town and uh, I think all of the, it's kids, like one of the Stranger Things kids and stuff. So they're all, you know, yeah. early teens and they're basically the descendants of Venkman and Spengler and all of that. And okay. there, and suddenly something triggers more ghosts, and so they've got to come back, uh, or and they've got to go bust some ghosts. But like yeah, it was right. like all the ghost. I guess after after whatever finished in Ghostbusters two, no more ghosts came for a while. Ghostbusters were forgotten, and so then 
it's sort of like a new generation is going to have to take up the the proton pack. So this it, it looked like it was done real solidly on, on the trailer. So I'm excited to see how the movie yeah. is. Yeah, it, it, I saw it sounds similar to the trailer that was out la- um, last year, year before Maybe. last for it. But I guess now that they're getting closer to re-releasing it or to actually releasing it, they're starting to put out trailers again. So, so anyway, all kinds of potential sequel funness. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. If there's something out there that you know is about to be remade or made and you think we need to talk about it, by all means, let us know. Uh, Donald, help me tell me all the places where they can reach us. Uh, to to talk to us about the show. Oh, are we done? I thought we were going to talk about Galaxy Quest some more, but okay. Uh, they oh, can I'm, find I'm, us. If you have more Galaxy Quests, by all means. I mean, you know, it feels feels a shame that we're going to drop them. Oh, there's going to be a sequel. And gosh, we like Galaxy Quest without talking about what made it so cool. Uh, but, you know, if, if we're done, we're done. I'm oh, no, no, no. By all means, I figured this is a crowd that probably is cultured and already knows that. But by all means... Uh, to, what is it that got you? Because I am not the right target market for Galaxy Quest, but I love it. Um, yeah, so. Galaxy, Galaxy Quest is a the best Star Trek movie about Star Trek, as opposed to um about all the things that Star Trek is about. Yes. So it's about the actors and their lives, and they're have they're doing the convention circuit. It really points at fandom, and who knew it would point so strongly at where fandom was going that you know the the excessive belief and dedication to what was going on where when it came out yes there were science fiction conventions and they were big deals uh, it didn't feel like uh, fans were quite as serious as they have gotten today uh, then they play with the tropes of like well what if all of this really was real even though we thought we were making fun of it or what if somebody else thought that what we were make that we were writing stories about was real and so then they made it a reality is sort of the big meta of Galaxy Quest, which I thought made it ultra fun. And of course, I loved all the actors uh, when this came out. I thought that they were all, you know, very entertaining. And the fact that they got Sigourney Weaver to basically sit there and make fun of uh, the way that women characters were treated in science fiction after coming off of having been you know, one of the most powerful women in science fiction was mm-hmm. uh, delightfully meta uh, that I loved that so much. And there's a, even in the documentary, if you get the the Blu-ray or the DVD, she kind of talks about it, uh, where they talk about sort of the look that they gave her and that that's not her normal look. And she was like, you know, I've played strong women in these, you know, and obviously strong women in sci-fi. The idea of being kind of, uh, and dare I use the word kind of a bimbo, was she was like, I thought it'd be a lot of fun. She was like, because I'm no different. They still let me be a, a smart, capable woman. But to kind of play with what that 1960s look was going to be and to let me do that. She was like, that's why I jumped at it. She was like, because it was still an intelligent role. And I got to kind of explore this other side that wasn't, you know, me just being rough and tough and like killing people, but having to find a new way to help this particular crew. So it just seemed like a fun for a comedy for her. Yeah. Um, and I would say, yeah, I think if this had been released maybe five years later, it would have been even bigger because you're right. It showed exactly how important like fandom is going to be little. Did you know while it was there kind of spoofing a star Trek convention that if this movie had come out five years later, it would have had a press junket at San Diego comic-con. It's just <laughs> at the point it came out, it wasn't that big and San Diego comic-con wasn't like the media show it's become. So it very much had its finger on the pulse and may have, if anything else, 
uh, been just too early. It was too far on the bleeding edge of knowing where things were going to go to for people to understand what it was at the time. My personal and, favorite yeah. thing about it that that's, you know, not the same, you know, Grapnar Hammer that everyone loves yeah. is Tony Shalhoub's breakdown through the whole thing and just how he just yes. loses his all grasp on reality and then finds his coping mechanism. And it's just, it's real subtle in the background, you know? I mean, it's not super subtle, but I mean, they don't point yeah. it out all the time. He just kind of, he just breaks down and then just kind of flows with it. And that just always cracks me up. <laughs> well, I mean, you've got so many great character actors. You've got Tony Shalhoub, you have Alan Rickman. Uh, I mean, and Tim, Al- Tim Allen plays a character that is, you know, None of them are real leading men in character style. And it, it all works so well together. I thought that that was pretty cool. And then, of course, they had the, oh, you're the ensign. So obviously you're going to die because <laughs> nobody knows your name. What's my name? <laughs> my name is Guy. No, really, Guy. What's your real name? No, it's really Guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, okay, guy. I'm sure. I'm sure you're gonna make it. You're gonna die. Yeah. That's <laughs> no. That that's fantastic. And I have to say, like, once you see Tim Allen decide he's going to be William Shatner, you suddenly realize that's the role he's been meant to play <laughs> all of these years. You suddenly go, yeah, all of that Tim the Toolman Taylor stuff really was just you heading your way towards being William Shatner. <laughs> I had no idea. And once you see it, you're like, this This casting is so brilliant that I didn't understand it. And apparently, once again, if you watch the documentaries, they didn't really want to give it to him. Um, and he really wanted it. Apparently, he's a real big sci-fi nerd. And he was like, no, I get what this movie is. I want it. And they looked at him as maybe too big a star for it. Because at that point, he was Buzz Lightyear. And he said, no, 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 you know, Buzz Lightyear's great. I would like to take this role. I think I could really do real, real good things with it. And I understand the subject matter. And they were like, yeah, but you're Tim Allen. We don't know. So apparently <laughs> he had to really fight to get that role because they weren't sure he could do it uh, or that he was so big a star that he wouldn't necessarily work in being this kind of quasi washed out star. Whereas I think it hit perfectly. The fact the man that made the Santa Claus uh, <laughs> is in parts of the movie, like just passed out on the floor. just feels real right to me. Yep. Yeah. A lot of fun. All right. Well, I, th- I think we've at least told people why we like Galaxy Quest now. Check it out. If you're out there, it's on multiple services. Yep. If not, the D- the Blu-ray is like $10. Uh, it's $10 that's well worth spending. And if you have seen Galaxy Quest and haven't watched any of the making ofs or documentaries, uh, I recommend those as well. They are a mm-hmm. good watch. I don't don't watch a whole lot of documentaries as a, as a habit, uh, but I enjoyed this one quite a bit. So, yeah, check it out. Yep. Cool. So, Don, where can we be found if they want to throw their two cents in? Head over to InverseGenius.com and you can find all of our other fine podcasts or go to the Inverse Genius group on Facebook or follow on Board Games on Twitter. I think you can also search Inverse Genius there and find us. And and that would be us. And for me, you can find me at Walsvio pretty much all over the internet. Bruce. Uh, you can find me as Brusco Thinks on Twitter. Uh, if you really, really want to hear my opinions about uh, uh, cut-up baseball cards, uh, drag queens, and professional wrestling, that's the place you can do it. How about you, Eric? You can find me at ericdewey.com, home of the big book of everything, and a whole bunch of other stuff that I keep getting involved in. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back once again just about a fortnight. If there's anything that you want us to talk about, you heard all the ways you can reach us. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.
That's it for this episode of the Inverse Genius Podcast. The Inverse Genius Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license. Thank you.